0: Another day of Premier League football, another Premier League loss for Norwich City at Carrow Road. As was the case in July 2020, Norwich City were beaten 4-0 by West Ham United, Uh, this time in front of supporters, although come the full-time whistle, plenty of them have made their way out of the ground and uh, back to their home. It was another dispiriting day as a Norwich City fan, um, and it was another disappointing day for Dean Smith and his side. You're listening to this week's Pinkin.com. Norwich City Podcast in association with Future. Radio. Uh, we dipped into the transfer market this week. We've signed uh, an emergency loan in David Freezer, who's come back to cover Paddy Davitt, who's uh, gallivanting off at a, a wedding. And we've also got uh, new signing Sam Seaman uh, for his first podcast appearance. Sadly, Sam, it doesn't come under better uh, circumstances than this. So uh, thank you very much for joining me, boys. We we're recording this a, a couple of hours after the full-time whistle um, rack out at Carroll Road. Again, uh, another disappointing day. I mean, Dave, where to start with that other than probably it being quite predictable from a no city perspective
1: yeah basically right let's get into paddy mode <laughs> i'll see if i can work in a coventry mention at some point yeah we've not learned anything new today have we it's been pretty much as expected I saw a a pretty funny tweet, which I'm paraphrasing was something along the lines of West Ham could have got back from Germany in the early hours of this morning, jumped on the train then a National Express coach turned up half an hour before kickoff and still won that game. And that's pretty much true because technically, obviously, a far superior team. The energy was pretty impressive considering they have played 14 games more than Norwich this season, thanks to their... Europa League campaign. And I think all of that just comes down to the fact that there is no confidence, no belief. They know exactly how bleak this situation is. The fans all know how bleak the situation is. We all obviously know they're going back to the championship. It's been confirmed last weekend. And I just don't think there's any way of really motivating them. They they can sort of kid themselves into it a little bit and and get themselves up for it by kickoff. But as soon as the first goal went in, it was just game over. And I don't think anybody in that stadium really had any belief that they were good enough to to come back because West Ham were, I looked at one point, I don't know, 25 minutes in or whatever, and it was 65% possession to West Ham. And you're watching the game and thinking they're just in second gear. like Declan Rice easing Billy Gilmore off the ball. There was a total mismatch and showed exactly why Billy Gilmore was... Hindsight's a wonderful thing, but why Billy Gilmore was not suited to a team in a relegation battle in the slightest. And, yeah, I I, said, I don't think I had 1% hope that Norwich would get back into that game. And it just feels to me like... I mean, you, do, you boys have done a, a brilliant job dissecting things already and we've looked at the overall scale of things. Now it's just... Death by a thousand cuts. It's miserable. And I'd be surprised if Coward Road is half full for the Tottenham game because everyone just wants it. I think Dean Smith, I think the players, the fans, everyone just wants it to be over and done with so that we can turn the page and start something new because this isn't good for anyone. No, and, and
0: the longer it goes on, the, the worse it gets certainly in in terms of uh, of pain i mean you, you you mentioned the the fans i think it 's worth noting as well that there were empty seats before kickoff in quite a few patches of the ground obviously that that drained pretty um, substantially from half time onwards but that 's the thing isn 't it Sam I mean um, this is now about how bad this gets for for nori city there isn 't a good scenario to well obviously they could win all three games i think that that is probably looking unlikely for anyone that's that 's watched the club this season and, uh, and what they 've done on the pitch but it is about almost damage limitation now and it's about getting to the end of the season, as Dave says, ensuring that it's not too painful and uh, and that the, the remaining games, they aren't beaten in the manner that they were today.
2: Yeah, it feels like they've got quite a lot to lose and not very much to gain at all, to be honest. I mean, we were talking about it earlier and the only incentive they really have is £2 million for finishing 19th um, and that's not really a situation that anyone wants to be in. You know, fans don't really want to be turning up to the ground. The players... <sighs> there's not really that much incentive for the player. I mean, obviously that they're, they're getting paid to do it, and they will be doing it. But how how must the players feel about having to travel to Leicester to play a night game on Wednesday, and then back to 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 Norfolk, and then to Wolves um, on Saturday or Sunday? I think it is, and yeah, it's just uh, so little to gain from the situation, um, really. And you know, as as Dave said, really, I think we all just sort of want it to end and, and Norwich. Uh, are very keen to usher in this new era. Um it feels like this summer is is pretty much all change and we've said that a few times really. Um but I think looking back now at, at this summer, have they possibly made the most changes in the summer when they, they least needed it. Um, you know, based off their, their most impressive um championship performance and promotion, they sold their best player and signed eleven players in the summer. Uh, and you just hope that they have the facilities to pretty much do the same um this time because they 're going to need that sort of overhaul um you know they 're set up for for certainly a a complete turnaround they 've obviously got a different coach to the last time they 're in the championship they 've got a new badge that they 're going to be going into the season with and yeah there's feels like a lot of things that are ready to be changed, but that almost adds to the the feeling of what is the point of these last three games and yeah if if anyone was in any doubt as to that mentality the first game since relegation losing 4-0 and yeah as he as he said fans emptying out of the ground at alarming rates certainly hasn't helped the enthusiasm for the final three games no, I don't
0: know how I'm going to get myself up for a trip to Leicester and Wolves, to be honest. Let alone the let alone let alone the players. But I mean, I was I was stood in in the mix zone after the game, and Dean Smith was uh, was being interviewed by by Chris Gorham as he is after every game. And, and Chris asked a question to Dean along the lines of, "How do you change this now? How do you change the mood going into next season?" And he made reference to a point that actually Norwich have been in this position before. They, as we mentioned right at the, the start of the the pod, the parallels between perhaps this game and, and the West Ham game two years ago, but. He referenced the fact they'd lost 10 games in the Premier League and then won the, the championship title the year after. But this time it does feel different, Dave, because as Sam says, it's, it's a different coach this time. There's, it comes after a season where there was more expectation. It, it, it does feel different. It feels perhaps less stable than it was after, after Project Restart. And we, we both, of course, covered that period and know how miserable it was for just generally, but also for the club and their on-pitch performances.
1: Yeah, well, they've already outperformed that, uh, thankfully, with those four points they got. But they have lost 10 of their last 12 Premier League games now. So that's pretty horrendous. But yeah, I, I, I do think there's a degree of separation between the two. And uh, there's a huge amount of reset that happens over the summer. And as we all remember they go to Huddersfield. Well, sorry, not the, it was a, a, an empty stadium, wasn't it? But f- for the few of us that were, uh, were in that stadium at the John Smith's stadium in Huddersfield, first day of the season, Adam Eder finds a late winner at the end of a not especially great performance. Um, I think Ben Godfrey was still playing at that point but it was before Gibson had, had started playing, but they, they managed to get the win and then they built from there. And, it wasn't spectacular, but eventually they were smashing Huddersfield 7-0 and easing their way towards the title again. And football does change quickly. We all we all know that. We've all seen many examples of that. And And I still think that the gap between the Championship and the Premier League is huge. I think the gap between League One and the Championship is pretty big. You know, you look at Rotherham coming back up straight away again and rotherham are a club by resource who should not be troubling norwich city really but as we well know before that game before both games next year particularly if paul warner still in charge for them they will be bloody difficult matches because they always are against rotherham because they will do everything that norwich city are currently not doing in the premier league they as Smith has referenced quite a few times now and doesn't seem to be getting a response from the players in terms of just putting in the odd foul there, just checking the opposition a little bit, taking the odd yellow card and trying to push them on the back foot and just be that bit more physical and determined. They they just don't have it in their makeup, really. You know, Billy Gilmore exemplifies that, really. He's so slight and it, just physically he is small, that has been obvious from, from the outset, but he's still a young lad, and he, he doesn't have that steel in him, does he? Who have they got that has got that? Hanley, obviously, it does have that in abundance. Otherwise, I mean, Brandon Williams likes to put himself about a bit. Um, Norman, I think, likes to think he's a bit of a tough guy, but I don't think he is. Well, he's certainly no Roy Keane, is he? <laughs> You know, Puky's not that type of player at all. these malou has got the size, but not he doesn't use it particularly. Rashid's is not like that in the slightest. Bojetter, I am pretty sure I could outmuscle quite comfortably, despite I am sure I am sure he's got some nice toned muscles for the for the gym mirrors. But that physicality, given everything that that Stuart Webber and Daniel Farkas said after the last relegation, has just not materialized, does it? And they are. And Declan Rice is a, pri- I mean, he is obviously a top-level example. He is worth, what, 100 £150 million. He would slot into that Manchester City midfield, no problem. He'd be in ahead of, Rod- uh, of Rodri, of Fernandinho. He'd be a brilliant buy for them. He's an absolute Rolls-Royce Rolls- of a player. Norwich haven't even got someone slightly like him. They haven't even got someone like Alex Tetti at the moment, let alone Oli Skip, and... Alex Tetty wasn't a top Premier League midfielder, was he? You know, he's got a few relegations on his on his CV. He's very much loved in these parts for his personality and his unselfish attitude on the pitch. But yeah, I didn't think I'd be going down the whole Rotherham route, but here we are. Norwich need to be more Rotherham. <laughs> That's what they need for these last three games. Just, you know, you've got to do that bare minimum of, of making the opposition work hard. And the way West Ham just eased their way through the Norwich midfield and then defence today was just pretty
0: embarrassing to watch yeah and that's that's why and we'll come back to tony Springett a bit later on but that's why a player like him gets the response that he got this afternoon because there was that sign of endeavor that willingness to to take people on a little bit of fearlessness as well but maybe that's that's born of a player who obviously hasn't been caught up in in what's gone on this season but i, I mean dave makes a, a pertinent point sam and I, i'm very wary of making this another post-mortem pod because it feels like kind of the last three or four of, uh, have been like that but
1: <laughs> the I, post-mortem of the post-mortem
0: exactly yeah we, we, we're certainly onto to our third or fourth post-mortem at the very least but it's hard not to reflect on things that people have said and again i don't want to make this kind of a, an assault on on stuart weber either because uh, obviously as, as we've as we've as we've covered throughout the last few weeks the the issues clearly are, are beyond him but he will take a lot of it because a lot of the conversation is about recruitment but after Norwich city's last relegation he spoke about uh, I think the exact line was, when I wake up in the morning, the first two things I think of is the first goal that we conceded, uh, paraphrasing Stuart Webber obviously, against Watford and Mikel Antonio scoring four goals for West Ham. You look at it now, Norwich have lost 4-0 to West Ham again, there are parallels, two years apart, they spent more money, there was more expectation. You can understand why fans are feeling a lot more frustrated at the nature of which they've got relegated this time around.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's been similar in some ways, and we discussed the similarities between the sort of project restart um, period and, and this current period, obviously before. But yeah, there's just been such a, a lack of fight, and I, I feel that maybe the the whole uh, physicality aspect has been you know covered in in depth, and I'm not going to talk again about the lack of size in the in the Norwich team compared to a lot of Premier League teams, but. You know the mental fight and the the feeling that they're giving the the opposition a test you know even if it's with you know trying to play pretty technical passing football you know it doesn't have to be when I say fight you don't have to be sending long balls and, and playing you know Tony Pulis Stoke era type football but you can at least give them a test you can at least let the other teams know that they're in a game and that actually they are playing against 11 other professionals that they've got to work their hardest to beat and Yeah, I think the embarrassing thing for me for Norwich today was that most of the time we're having these, oh, they didn't get out of second gear type um, discussions. Normally it comes after a sort of 2-0 game or an example of a game that springs to mind is Liverpool beating Norwich 2-1 in the FA Cup. Um, And, you know, obviously the scoreline was close and and the mitigation that we usually give for those sorts of situations is, oh, they didn't get out of second gear. When a team doesn't get out of second gear or third gear and beats you four nil, like that's when you know you're in you're in trouble really. And I think the fact that we're having those sorts of discussions, it's four nil. West Ham should have that should have been, according to the scoreline, their best game of the season, and an incredible performance. And David Moyes should be coming coming out of the changing room, coming into the, the the presser and saying, "I'm so proud of my team." What he did was he came into the the press room and said, "Oh, we could have scored a couple more goals." we didn't and play that well exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that,
1: or no we could have played
2: better I yeah think that, i mean and that that really tells the whole story um the fact that and they're they're seventh in the league which seventh is a, a great achievement and i'm sure every single norwich fan would be uh extremely pleased with that but a team in seventh should shouldn't be feeling they should have played better when they've beaten you four nil in the premier league that that is on your really, own tough. Oh, it's, it's so poor and uh yeah i think those sorts of circumstances are what makes it more difficult for for Norwich fans at the moment to be honest
0: yes and uh since since march 2020 now uh only Timu Puki has scored more goals at carrow road than mikel antonio so uh, that's that's another statistic to to add on to it as i look into it. look off i'm sat opposite you guys and uh, there's a, there's a few uh, there's a few, <laughs> few heads in hand i mean it's 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 tough isn't it but if, if we delve into the the game dave uh, if we must um Same old story, isn't it? Individual errors. I mean, the second goal in particular is, is, I mean, if you didn't laugh, you'd cry, frankly.
1: Yeah, the second goal is weird. The first one takes a big deflection off Max, doesn't it? I I still think Tim will be disappointed that he didn't keep it out, but um, it did take a big deflection and and wrong-footed him. So you can probably just about let him off that one, but... Smith spoke about how easy it was between the lines for them to pass between the lines. And again, that, that the midfield just didn't function. You've got two deep-lying midfielders there. And Sorensen, in bits and pieces, maybe was in the right place, but n- not enough. Um, and you probably needed two of him rather than... It would have felt better to have had at least Malou deeper than, than Gilmore. And, and in the first half, I said to you boys in the press box, this isn't working, they'd be better off going to a 4-3-3. And then Smith obviously doesn't make the double change at half-time. But, yeah, the second one, I don't really know. I mean, it's in fairness, if you've got Grant Hanley and Mikhail Antonio lumbering towards you, I don't think I'd really want to chuck myself under their feet. You don't like yourselves to outmuscle those two, then? Definitely
2: not. 100% not.
1: <laughs> and I wouldn't want to even try. But, you know, Tim Krull's a big lad and he's got to be brave in that situation. And just, he, he appeared to be in the position that he should have been claiming that ball and, you know, screw the other two. He's just got to make sure that he gets both hands on the ball and go from there, but he seemed to only get one on it and then it's a bit of an unfortunate deflection and Antonio just looks up and goes, ah, here we go, lovely job. Empty net just to finish into with Norwich players staring at him going, please no. (laughs) And there you go, 2-0, nice and easy. Yeah, and uh, that's, that's why we're
0: going down, I think, was the chant from the, the Barkley and yeah. the snake pit. And, there and was... uh, what the effing hell was that?
2: Yes, yes,
0: there <laughs> was, Yeah, which probably sums it up a lot better than, than anything we could say, frankly. But Sam, I mean, it feels like Tim Crawl's in a bit of a tricky moment at, at the minute. I mean, he's probably, if, if you were to maybe ask people or poll people, as the club will do in, in, in the next few weeks, and, and ask for a player of the season, he, he would probably fall into most people's top three. I'd say probably probably third on the list. It feels like in the last few weeks with the Ronaldo free kick, the obviously the mistake against Newcastle, I think you can probably have a discussion about the first goal and whether he should have saved that. I think he'll pro- I, I probably agree with Dave. I think if you caught him in a quiet moment, he'd be probably disappointed with himself that he didn't, although the deflection I think does catch him out and that change in body position for a goalkeeper is quite tough. Um, the second goal, as Dave said, I, I feel he should be coming out it and claiming that. It just feels like he's maybe a little bit out of form at the moment, just to move it forward I suppose which direction do you think Smith will go in on Wednesday night? Is it now an opportunity to dip him out for a little while as he has done with Gibson and other players throughout his reign or are we at a stage of a season where that probably doesn't matter too much in reality?
2: If I'm guessing what what Dean Smith's going to do I would at the moment lean towards saying that Kroos probably going to stay in the team I think the the point to be ruthless with him um, has probably passed and He's now sort of backed himself into the corner of having to, to sort of back Tim Crawl. Do you know what I mean? He's, he's sort of where with Ben Gibson, the clear message was, I'm not going to tolerate these sorts of mistakes. Because I think it was one, it was one bad game. Ben Gibson had really one total embarrassing error, and then one where he probably should have done better. And he straight out the team, and, and a fullback is playing centre back instead. I think if you were being that ruthless, that ruthless with cruel, he probably would have came out after the Man United game. Definitely after the Villa game and, and, you know, probably wouldn't even have been in the squad after after this game if if you were going to be that ruthless. And I think he's backed himself into a corner where now it's sort of a little uh, too little too late if he, he takes him out of the team because that message of if you make a mistake, you're gone sort of thing, that's that's not going to hold up even if Cruel comes out of the team now. So maybe he's sort of, yeah, forced himself into retaining Cruel in, in that position. I think it's that inconsistency that, that really... Um, confuses me to be honest um, I think there was a, a, a piece I read on, on Pinkham Plus the other day actually that uh, he was talking about how every player is different and I suppose that's the argument that he would he would make back in terms of he obviously knows Ben Gibson as a footballer and Tim Krull better than, than we do and his argument would maybe be that he knows that Ben Gibson is more likely to respond to being dropped out of the team immediately than, than Tim Cruel, And maybe he feels that Tim Krul is more of a confidence player that wants to feel that he's backed and, and trusted by the manager. So, yeah, I, I I wouldn't see him changing it. But for me, um, if you're Angus Gunn, you're probably sitting there going, I've had three or four great games when I was forced to be in the team. The the player I'm competing with has had three or four uh quite poor games when am i going to get this chance sort of thing and um yeah you're starting to feel a bit sorry for for Angus given the the career that he's had if I'm Angus I'd be keeping quiet <laughs> and be oh, quite no, happy to be on it, the yeah. bench for the last three games yeah, True, yeah <laughs> um no um, <laughs> yeah it's true it, yeah in terms of the the old goals conceded record it's probably best for Angus that he doesn't he doesn't <laughs> come back into the team but yeah um it is that inconsistency that i suppose it is slightly confusing and um yeah i'm i'm sure smith will will justify that and and will have his own reasons for that but um yeah maybe we'll ask the the question pretty soon because it's probably one that needs to be answered
0: yeah, and I guess it's, it's probably a bit more of a statement, isn't it, for a head coach to drop a goalkeeper out rather than, yeah. than a centre-back out. And we, and we already know that Smith likes to lean heavily on those players that he regards as senior, and I, and I think he's kept it fairly consistent throughout the spine of the team, actually, since since he arrived. So maybe maybe that leans into why he would be uh, against dropping Tim Crawl out despite perhaps some of the, the areas or, or some of the moments that we feel maybe he, sh- he should have done better in, in the last few weeks. I mean, just to, to cap off the rest of the, the goals, Dave, I mean, Ben Rama adds a adds a third um on on the brink of half time it's it's a clever cut back it's um it's that Bowen's third assist of of the afternoon isn't it it's um pretty pretty simplistic stuff and then in, in, in the second half it's uh well Byram scores first and foremost that gets ruled out for handball he he said to me afterwards that he felt it, it probably was the correct decision he was jogging back to the halfway line and was asked why he wasn't smiling uh, that maybe because he was, uh, Norwich were, were at that point 3-1 down but also he knew that he'd handballed it and it was probably going to get disallowed and then Jacob Sorensen gives away a penalty with uh, with I mean he's almost in like a Superman pose isn't he and um either dawson 's header connects with his hand, which is basically where his head is, or um, the ball hits it from the cross initially it 's quite hard to tell from the from the replay and as soon as the referee goes over, you, you kind of know what the decision is going to be in that regard. but at that point, Car Road empties quite quite drastically and um, as it did against newcastle i mean i, I don 't want to suggest that maybe Dean Smith invests in a new thesaurus but this does feel awfully like apathy to me, but maybe maybe i 'm wrong
2: yeah. <laughs>
1: The never-ending battle over apathy. (laughs) Um, I think he's probably got a point, to be fair, on the penalty. Um, I'm not really sure what Sorensen's hand's doing up there. It's almost like he's trying to drag Dawson down, isn't it? And then he gets a little bit unlucky. It, It does hit his hand, but is it a clear and obvious... Error from the referee. I'm, I'm. not sure it is. I, I can see Dean Smith's point on that one, so I think they're a little bit unlucky. It's quite. It's quite similar to the one that
0: was given against Gilmore at Newcastle in, in many ways. That you maybe wouldn't necessarily argue. I'm probably casting your mind back quite quite a way, but it, it wasn't necessary. Yeah. I, I think Smith made a similar argument that it wasn't clear and obvious, but he still had his arm maybe in that unnatural position that we see given.
1: Yeah. What given was the now? game where Byron randomly stuck his hand out and Brighton wasn't Brighton? It? Brighton? Yeah. It wasn't. It was nowhere near as clear as, <laughs> as that was it for instance. Um, so yeah. Yeah, but then once he goes across to the screen, you all know it. Um, the Byron one, it's a shame, but we, as soon as we saw the first replay, we knew it was going to be disallowed, didn't we? It was, you know, by the letter of the law, and I think that is probably the, the how the law should be. That's yeah. what makes sense. Um, that has to be ruled out, but um, there was certainly some gallows humour coming out there and wasn't there. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it was just... It, it just summed everything up, didn't it? It was like, no, 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 you're not having any fun. Don't get carried away. <laughs> en- enjoy your... 20 seconds of it because we're about to tear it away from you. The moment that I really thought w- things could have turned was when Bowen should have made it 3-0 yeah. within 60 yeah. seconds of the second goal and somehow managed to smash cool. it wide, didn't he? And at that point, that was the angriest boo of the afternoon, I think. And we'll probably come back round to sort of the the protesty type bits outside the ground in a bit. But... Yeah, that was the, the moment that sticks in my mind is when everyone really thought, oh, come on, this is ridiculous. And then, you know, the third one, what, third minute of, of um, injury time, just before half-time, when everyone's thinking, oh, well, who knows, you know, not that it would have mattered, but it was only 2-0 at that point and it could have been 4 or 5-0, but then he, you know, goes and sticks that one. And it was a good good finish as well and Krull didn't have a great deal of chance. But again, just the way West Ham just east through norwich was was just so so tame so um yeah as a spectacle the game's pretty much over isn't it and we, we were saying we were surprised how many people actually came back after half time weren't we? I, I'm, uh, I haven't spoken to him yet but I'm, i'd be almost certain that my dad went to the pub at half time uh, and i doubt he was the only one we live norwich city the builder the passion the drama the last-minute winners. The debate.
0: That's why we've created Pink Pink and Plus.
1: The app that takes you beyond the headlines. With exclusive columns, blogs, podcasts and videos, we've got you covered. Subscribe today. Pink and Plus. Stay ahead of the game.
0: Download now on the App Store and on Google Play. which which probably lends us on nicely, Sam, to the fans and and their feelings at the moment. Because I think there's, as Dave said, there's been a lot of debate around this word apathy and and kind of maybe how fans are feeling. We've already spoken about empty seats even before the game had had kicked off. And it it feels like certainly from maybe people that we've spoken to in in our own families that that maybe will worsen against Spurs in a couple of weeks time. But... There were protests after the game, however, many people were, were there. We're not quite sure. I mean, I, I spoke to a steward in the mix zone who felt it was 100 200, possibly. Um, that's that's kind of uh, as we got back into the office, the number that we've been given again. I mean, that's that's I mean, maybe it's it's kind of dramatized a little bit by the fact that people are already leaving the ground and making their way past that, and then sort of added to, to that number. I'm not sure, but all of this paints the picture of a football club that isn't particularly happy a fan base that feels disconnected to this group of players I've had it quite a lot over the last week where people have said to me I really struggle to connect with this group of players park the club for a minute I don't have a lot of feeling for this group of players which is a tremendous concern really I mean the only player that we heard have a chant this afternoon was Timu Puki, who I think is quite remarkable he scored 10 goals in this Norwich City team but in terms of changing the narrative and shifting things on, it feels like that the main port of call is going to be getting the fans back on side. And, and at the moment, it feels really difficult um, or it feels tough as to how they're going to do that when you see protests outside against the owners and the way the club is being run and also the sheer amount of empty seats and people voting with their feet.
2: Yeah, I mean, we're obviously in the privileged position where it's our job to continue to care and we're sort of forced to... to, to to be there and, and to be awake to everything that's going on. But genuinely, I think that if, as a, a regular fan, I would be struggling to to for, to retain my interest in it, to be honest. Um, and you do feel for people that have to you know pay a lot of money. It's a lot of money. To,
0: £47 for go. a casual
2: match ticket today. That's <laughs> an incredible <laughs> amount of money. 40, £47 pounds for that. And, um, yeah, we, we had a discussion um, during the game when where you sort of commended people for for staying, and I said, you know, I'm sure they're not enjoying it, but they have paid as you know as we just talked about that that enormous amount of money, and they probably just want to get their money's worth. And you said, um, are they getting their money's worth? And the answer at the moment is is no. You know, it's just it's so so poor, and you're not giving the fans anything and but it's, um, it's quite sad
0: isn't it that you're at that point where you're, you're actually asking are people who essentially are supporters are they getting their money's worth it, it that's not really the way that we look at supporters relationship with a football club but that's kind of feels like what it's boiled down to at the moment they're they're unsatisfied and they're not really getting what they feel they should be getting on the pitch
2: yeah I mean yeah that's the this the sad thing is that we have to we have to com- compare it to money and how much money they're spending on it because this is for a lot of people you know one of their greatest loves really and, and something that they probably fell in love with earlier than a lot of things they, they've been in love with. In, you know, in terms of a lot of a lot of fans have been supporting the club from early ages and, and being children. And you know, we're talking about what reasons do they have to cling on to stay in the ground while they're, yeah. they're three 0 down, and we know there's no chance of, of them coming back. And it, it, it's sad. You can't you can't feel anything but sorry for those supporters. And these supporters will be around. Um, there are plenty of, of fans in the ground that will be around longer than any member of staff currently working for the club, uh, especially the sort of technical staff and, and players and, and stuff like that. And they're the ones that have to sort of endure it. They can't do anything about it. The the ones that won't be here for, for as long and probably haven't been um, attached to the club for as long as these fans, they're the ones that can change it. And the ones that that have cared for longer are the ones that have to just sit back and hope that it gets better, and and that's a horrible position for for them to be in. Um, yeah, the club certainly do need the fans back for for next season because very very rarely does a a, a good culture or a, a winning team emerge from a, a club in turmoil. Um, you know, look look if you look at clubs like Sunderland, for example, the facilities that they have. Uh, the amount of supporters and probably the squad they had going down to even a, a club like League One should mean that that they they should have walked it. But the the feeling around the club, the toxicity and the the sort of grim sadness around it, I don't think helps anyone. And I think always bleeds onto onto the pitch in terms of the the impact of it. So yeah, I think before it gets much further. And there are still three more games for, for fans to display their discontent and one at home as well, which if if it if it's in two losses time, that could that could turn ugly. Um and as you said, voting with their feet the and, and Dave referenced it earlier as well, that there could be real struggles with attendance in that game. Um and there's still yeah, still a lot of a lot of scope for fans to make their voice heard before the end of the season. And you just hope that it doesn't go to a point where it's gonna be really hard to rescue and I think that's on the club and that's on the players to, to give them something to to get excited about. That's a really good point, actually. I th- I like
1: that. That's th- something that people really struggle to get their head around, isn't it? That they're desperate for the players to do well, but it doesn't mean to the players what it does to people who it's been in their hearts since they're five years old. And it never will. Or who, whatever position at the club. If you come from an external position and Norwich City isn't in your heart, and that isn't a choice for you, it isn't like oh, no, I won't support Norwich anymore. I'm going to go and support Sunderland or whoever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's not a it's not a choice, is it? And some people really struggle to to deal with that. And that's to boil it down. And we don't want to get too much into to the Stuart Webber stuff again. The ninety percent co- comment that people have jumped on, and and probably. Know it's being taken out of context a little bit is that it's not something you, ju- you want to hear, even if it's true. Now, I wouldn't say that to my boss, even if it was true. That, <laughs> yeah, you're getting like 90% of me actually. Yeah. Um, you just say 100%, don't you? It's just like basic sort of PR things. You don't ever give give the people that are paying your wages or who are ultimately you answer to any sort of inkling that you're not 100% committed to the job. And that's where I think a lot of the hurt has come from from the whole Stuart Webber saga recently and and where... We'll see what happens, but when he does speak and uh, and and you know set the record straight from his point of view, which he probably should have already done by this point, is where people are going to want to see a little bit of humility and of an acceptance that he hasn't done everything right in in this scenario i don't I don't think it's about climbing a mountain and it's not it's not about the charity elements and things like that. I think people would be quite happy to support him in that and particularly you know if he was doing that in the middle of a promotion campaign no one would give a monkeys a monkeys <laughs> uh, they really wouldn't because that's not that's not the issue it's the inference that norwich isn't getting 100% of his love and affection because that is the starting point and ending point for all Norwich City fans and for some people it is the biggest focus in their life so whether it's true or not you just can't ever say anything like that.
0: No, and, and and you know, as as we kind of sit down and and talk about this debate, there will have been people today who, even though Norwich were relegated, would have got up early, would have caught a train. I'm not simply referring to you, Sam, although I know you you did this, but there will be some supporters who got up early, caught a train, got into the city, and and, and their life and and their their weekends revolve around what Norwich City are doing and how they how they're playing, and I think when maybe you've got players on the pitch putting performances in like that and we've heard words for them and that's the only time that you can really judge someone when you're stood in front of them with a microphone on and they're talking about professional pride i think from a fan's perspective you maybe look at it and feel that actually the words aren't matching up with what we're seeing on the pitch at the moment is that the biggest frustration do you feel for for some fans at the moment that they're watching a group of players who as we said they don't really feel any connection to for for whichever reason that's probably another whole podcast in itself but also they feel that their words aren't really matching up to the performances on the pitch at the moment
2: yeah i think the in terms of addressing the the relatability issue i think you need good memories with people to, to form those relationships. And it's the reason why, you know, um, companies all over the world have team bonding exercises among their employees. It's because you want to have good memories. And there's no good memories with this group of players because every week, that, you know, to, to put it in a sort of normal uh, frame, if, if if the fans are a person and, the, the you know, they're spending time with the players. Every time they spend time, they, they end up both being miserable and good relationships aren't formed off, off that sort of thing. So I think that's maybe a results thing. It's also probably in terms of identity on the pitch. That's a whole, you know, that's a, another big discussion in terms of the identity and the style of play. Um, but yeah, that that, that is the, the frustration in terms of marrying up what you say with how you perform on the pitch. But equally, you know, we've just been talking about... Um, PR and and what Stuart Webber should and shouldn't have said, Uh, Dean Smith can't really come out and say, well I mean we're going to sort of try our best a bit but obviously we're probably going to lose and as soon as a goal goes in you're going to know that we're not coming back into the game because that would marry what's going on on the pitch but I don't think any fans would want to hear that.
0: It's pretty much what Roy Hudson's done at Watford, by
1: the way. <laughs> yeah, very,
2: very true, but um, that's paying for the grandkids to go to uni. It is. Watford. Yeah, it it's is. the pot, it is, zone, it it? is. <laughs> um, But yeah, I think in terms of of that showing what you talk about, that's more of a. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to criticise people for for saying they're going to try their best and then and then not doing very well. I would be. That's not really in their control. I think they need to address the technical issues and the the issues. Um, with how they're playing football before they address the issues with with how they speak, to be honest. Um you know, definitely on the sort of Dean Smith and, and players side. Um but you can see why why the, the fans are frustrated because they keep coming out with these promises and they keep coming out with these these reasons as to why things are going wrong and it's the same every week really. Um, you know, there's a reason why Dean Smith's press conferences are getting shorter and shorter because, because we all know what he's gonna say and there's no point to a certain degree. Um yeah, and the fans fans know that now, and, and I imagine uh, getting very frustrated with it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I
0: tweeted yesterday that I, it's pretty pretty staggering, really, that a week after relegation, it's only Dean Smith who's come out and yeah. uh, and accepted responsibility for his role in it. When he's he's been manager of this team since November, and he hasn't signed a single player, so it doesn't doesn't really feel. Which I suppose lends me into my my next question, Dave, which is how how much of this season is down to him because I think uh, if it does feel like if this deteriorates quite badly in the next three games, the spotlight may shift onto him and his role within it. I think a lot of people are looking at this Norwich team and, uh, and feeling that there's been a couple of maybe false starts and, uh, and splutters where it looked like they potentially could string a few Premier League results together. But in the whole, in the round, it, it probably isn't a group of players that looks particularly better off than, than it did under Daniel Farker um, in, in the first 10 games of this season. So what, what does he need from his team, in order to ensure that there is still faith in him from the supporters' perspective, I suppose, come the end of
1: the season. Can I just go from, on a very slight tangent Do before it. I answer that? Do it. Um, I was staring off into the relegation abyss while you were talking there, Sam. Has anyone ever said to you that you sound a bit like Max
2: Ahrens? Nobody has ever said that to me. And I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. I don't know. I suppose this is. Uh, I, am, I am. You've caught uh, him completely off guard I'm yeah, a and I non <laughs> Norfolk speaker, so I'm thinking maybe because I'm. I'm from South East England and, and so is Max Aarons. I'm thinking maybe uh, you as a as a, a native Norfolk man have have put two and two together that I maybe don't see. But um no, I take it as a as a compliment. Very
0: Can you play like him? That's the bigger question.
2: Uh, I would. I have too big of an ego to play at right back, so I probably <laughs> can't. To be, I'm that's not saying
0: you scream of a pink boots, man. Already, I can see. Uh,
2: I've I have had pink on my boots before. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. To quote Neil Warnock, you've got to be a good player to play with those boots.
1: Like anyway, Dave.
0: You know, <laughs> anyway, that's
2: um, sated my
1: <laughs> yeah, desire for that information. Um, Dean Smith. Yes, I mean, it will always go back. to... For me, to pierre Lise Malou being clean through at Newcastle in injury time and should score and very nearly did score, you win that game when Newcastle had been down to 10 men for 80 minutes and what a start Dean Smith has got off to at that point. They really would be flying. And there were early signs. And overall, if you just want to look at it um, on the stats, they, they have improved very slightly to where they were under Daniel Farker, although those numbers have been dragged down a bit now, haven't they? Um, but certainly before the sort of dejection and acceptance set in, the numbers were looking f- favourable to Farker, although still obviously not particularly impressive. Um, and that's, you know, I, I see a lot of people go back to the Farker decision and... That's always going to be there and it's always going to be coloured by the pure love that there is for Daniel Farker with Norwich City fans because he he achieved legendary status in a fairly short space of time and still is, of course, a, a remarkable character, an incredibly warm person who brought a really special time to the club. That 2018-19 season is possibly the most enjoyable season um, that there there's ever been at norwich city um it's certainly up there um f- for me with two thousand and three four the the Huckerby season under nigel Worthington, uh, and and I'm sure some people of a of a slightly um older vintage than me will be able to offer a few um other uh, prime examples 1993 I don't really remember i you know I vaguely remember it really so dean smith i I'm concerned that this final three games could do so much damage that it makes his position very difficult and that will it will, mean, it will mean there have been some harsh and difficult conversations with some players that he is going to need next season and is going to have made for some very awkward situations along the way. And frankly, these last three games could be heavy defeats. They, we could have... Today, three times over. It could it could even be worse. You know, Leicester have beaten Southampton 9-0 in the Premier League in not too long ago. They've had some fantastic results in, in the last few seasons and are much better than their current position in the table. So that just as a starting point, Wolves, clearly very, very good team if they can be bothered, although they're a bit on the beach, aren't they? And Tottenham, unless they have, um, I think, unless they have a couple of bad results before that game, should still be gun- gunning for the Champions League spot. And just look at those guys, you know, Kane, Son, Kulaseski is looking very good, isn't he? So if, in worst case scenario, they don't show any fight and don't manage to have a, a good moment or a good game and just implode to three further really miserable defeats and it's finishing the season with 13 defeats in five and a miserable final position, then I don't know, it's... I can't sit here and say that I feel 100% confident that he will be here for next season because that is going to have been a really damaging uh, scenario. But I've always been in the camp of hope, hoping that he would be. And I think if you if you look, say you're Blackburn at the moment and you know Tony Mowbray's off, I think, isn't he? Unless yep. that's changed. Yep. Yep. Who, are, who are going to be two of the guys in the top five if they were available that you'd want as a championship manager? You're probably looking at Daniel Farker and Dean Smith if they were available. So... I still hope that um, people don't get too on top of him and that they don't blame him too much for this and don't start hating on Dean Smith because I think there's still a very talented coach there and, and Cray Shakespeare as well. They come as a package, basically, don't they? They brought in Liam Bramley as well, who's a bit of a lesser-known quantity, but by all accounts is a very highly thought of coach. So in the Championship, with even with the squad that they've got, I... I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be in the promotion mix. And there are some pretty straightforward and obvious fixes to make to the squad that financially they are going to be very competitive by championship standards because they managed to sort of ride out COVID relatively even with a 30 million loss. Um, they managed to ride it out through pl- player sales essentially, didn't they? Um, so I'm still just about in the, in the Smith camp and hopeful that he will bounce back and bring a new narrative and a totally new story almost, and that they can hit reset and and reboot the whole thing and go again next season. But uh, it's going to be difficult to keep everybody on board. And, you know, there's not any patience around already for, for so many people, for everybody to be fully on board with the Dean Smith story, I think is going to have to really ride out some choppy waves because, If they don't start the season well, then uh, there's going to be a lot of tainted and maybe misplaced anxiety and anger, which is going to still be just boiling underneath the surface, which would soon mean he'd be on his way.
0: Yeah, I don't don't think the suggestion from our perspective is is that Dean Smith wouldn't be in charge and that's certainly not, not the noises that that we're getting anywhere. I think the, the likelihood is that Norwich will start the championship season with, with Dean Smith in charge. I suppose it's more probably a conversation around how fans perceive him and, uh, and whether that relationship with him, because let's be honest, whoever was going to follow Daniel was going to find it very hard to live up to, as you said, the character, the, the <laughs> charisma, the connection that, that he gave supporters. Um, Dean isn't Daniel. I think that's that's quite clear. But is this maybe Sam, for the first time, certainly from their last relegation, they came down and there was maybe a little bit of stability in that Daniel Farker had done it before, Stuart Webber had done it before. They knew what a good championship squad looked like. This doesn't necessarily feel like a Norwich City side that is getting relegated with stability this time. It's a, it's a different coach who, last time he was promoted from the division, went up via the playoffs with what was a very good Aston Villa side that when he took over was perceived to be underperforming and he turned that around, which is a, a wonderful achievement, but the group of players was was still very strong. So, so I, I would imagine people will still have questions about Dean Smith in the championship but equally, there are more question marks around Norwich City because of Stuart Webber's situation and the conversation that we've had around him. The, the players, the fact they've spent more money, it, it does feel a little bit maybe like it did when they went down under Alex Neal and, and, and spent a little bit of money and had a group of players that fans didn't really feel connected to. And there was this disconnect, for want of a better word, really, between, between everyone at, at the club. It does feel like the stability that maybe they had two years ago, even after 10 straight defeats, maybe doesn't necessarily exist in the same way as it does now.
2: Yeah, I think it's a good comparison to that Alex Neil group actually because you still have, as you did when Alex Neil was there, um, a manager that's won the championship. Uh, well, Alex Neil obviously didn't win this, and Dean Smith hasn't either. But managers that to to the that got, up, got promoted, yeah, got promoted from the championship, and that's one more than a lot of teams have when they when they go into the championship. Um, they also have a sporting director now that that is very very proven. Um, you know, three times with two different clubs. Um, from, from the championship in terms of getting promotion but it's just about all those elements coming together and it's the same as, as that Neil group because then there was a lot of the I believe that was a time when there was sort of issues around Jes Moxie and that whole yeah. era and a lot of changing around in their backroom staff and you've got that same sort of situation in terms of this Weber and Smith partnership is not not proven at all yet you know the only the only thing that that partnership has inspired so far unfortunately is failure in terms of the relegation and, and everything since dean smith came in really i think norwich and, and and their staff and and players would probably back themselves because of craig shakespeare's pedigree dean smith's pedigree um and they have got that pedigree but it's just about whether this works as a, a team it's it's a bit like a, a sort of all star galacticos type thing but more with with staff in terms of okay they're great but are Possibly Smith and Webber, the the Gerard and Lampard of, you know, football staff. Um, and you're you're hoping from a Norwich City point of view that they're not. But there's only one way that they can they can prove that, and that's with success in the Championship next season. They haven't been able to prove it in the Premier League, but there are obviously mitigating circumstances. Dean Smith hasn't been able to spend any money, um, and he's been lumbered with a, a squad that he has chosen none of the players from. Um, so yeah, I I find it difficult to judge Smith pretty much at all on on the way that he's performed this season Um, but I will say Daniel Farker when his team wasn't performing well at least showed signs of what they were trying to be and that 2017-18 group was not a supremely successful group it was one that relied very heavily upon an extremely talented player that Norwich were probably quite lucky to have and it was a team that finished 14th in the championship but at least the whole time you could see that there was this manager trying really hard to institute a a, a clear playing style and a playing style that was different to what was before and that Norwich were heading in the direction of achieving that playing style whereas with Smith if they are achieving a a playing style or or if they are heading towards a playing style then it's probably more of a less entertaining one and one that knows what it is a lot less than than Daniel Farkas' setup did and that's where my concern is in terms of performance and points and things obviously it would have been great if he'd done better um, and there are still things that he has to take responsibility for but in terms of going forward I don't think you can base any assumptions for, from next season off his his achievement this, uh, this season um, it's just about the situation that the club is in and, and whether that allows him to thrive next season really
0: yeah, I think our position is, is quite similar in, in that I don't, uh, as you said, really, I think it's quite tough to judge him on what's got, gone this season and, and the t- the group of players that he's had at his disposal clearly aren't good enough. He's made them or attempted to make them tougher to beat, which um, feels like you'd need some kind of divine intervention to do that at the moment, the way that they defend at times. Um, but I probably, if I'm honest with myself, would have liked to have seen more in terms of what a Dean Smith team looks like. I don't really feel any closer to that answer than than when he was first appointed. Um, let's let's end the pod on a bit of positivity, Dave, because it's it's always nice to do that. T- Tony Spriggett, he, he came on. I mean, we we're, we're kind of in that stage of the season where a young player comes on takes a player on, puts a cross in and everyone goes, that was pretty good. It feels like that. We were at that stage in Project Restart with kind of Josh Martin and whatnot. But senior debut
1: and you have to say he was given an opportunity and he probably took it really. Is this the sort of performance we'd see from Sam Seaman if he was coming off the bench? Then is, it, is this where your ego takes you?
2: I would, I would definitely run around. I, I'd like to think as much as as Tony Springett did today. Probably not with as much pace or ability to to get past a player, but no, I would, I would run around. I'd give it a good go. I'd what position? It, uh, sort of, an, well, I would say number ten, attacking midfielder. <laughs> but unfortunately, that does not exist at the level of football that I've played. So, okay. sort of centre mid trying hard to Mm. break into the box most of the time really sometimes a winger yeah my best position's um, on the substitute bench yeah
1: Um, I can see that I can see that from from my experience of uh, Sunday League uh, just asked EDP editor David Powles about that Um, Tony Springett yes like him a lot Um, tweeted a few times in the last couple of years when I've seen him at 18s and 23s levels that I really like him, and I think there's almost a little bit of Darren Eady about him, which, you know, I'm not saying he's as good as Darren Eady, Obviously, we've not seen enough of him for that. But uh, there's a directness. There's a, a bit of pace, energy, desire. Uh, there's a lot to like about him. And um, Dean Smith said similarly afterwards that, you know, he's a bundle of, bundle of energy, trains really well and he's impressed them, basically. So, you know, you know, this is just a little sort of toe in the water for him. It may lead to alone next season or something. I don't don't know. We'll see how things shape up. But is he going to be any worse than Poitier? I mean, Poitier was okay when he came on today, really. You know, he did have the shot on target, which was ironically cheered um, in, what, the 75th minute, something like that, first shot on target. Uh, But it was straight at Fabianski. It wasn't causing any trouble, was it? And he, you know, his pace maybe caused a few problems as West Ham coasted through to full time. But... When he came off the bench, it was like right. If that's what Norwich got the turn to, then for the Premier League, that that's not really uh, great. But I, I didn't think Poheta was great last season either, and and Farker lost faith with him as well, didn't he? He just doesn't seem to have the character for English football. It doesn't have the, seem to have the determination about him because I think he's he's got a bit. He's obviously got pace, isn't he? He's sort of a road runner type player, but in terms of technical ability when he arrived we saw his youtube supercut uh, featured some sort of spectacular long-range strikes and and excellent
0: music if i remember
1: Mm, that's probably debatable (laughs) (laughs) um based on other youtube supercuts but uh, we've not seen it at all really have we so uh, are john rowe or tony springett gonna offer any less than pojeta has in a norwich shirt I don't think they would. So I, I think he's probably one to say that he's a project that hasn't worked out, let him go back to Poland and, or wherever and keep building his career. Because I think the the raw sort of exciting ability that um, that Tony's got means that he's the sort of player that's going to get fans on the edge of their seats. And if you give him the ball, um, then then he'll give it a good shot. And as you sort of summed up earlier, really, it's, it is that... Um, naivety of youth almost as soon as he got the ball and it got the crowd going didn't it that just for that what brief three four minute spell when there was a little bit of positivity today he just ran down the wing won a corner and the snake pit just responded said yes come on lad that's what we want started chanting youth and sometimes that can can help but similarly as maybe we've seen a bit of with John Rowe you don't want to see them get dragged down by being in a really quite bleak situation you just want to give them a little taster here and there and then see what they can do in pre-season and see if they can become a Max Ahrens or a Jamal Lewis and really force their way into the first team picture because Norwich got loads of young talents and young options and players have been out on loan they've got so many players on their books I don't even think they're going to have to do serious business I think or I hope that it's almost a case of fine-tuning it, clearing a bit of dead wood, yeah, I'll use that phrase, and freshening it up a little bit. But I think they've got so much um, at their disposal already that they could almost spend the money, as they perhaps should have done last summer, in big signings. You know, if you can sign someone for seven, eight million in the Championship who... You know, I, I haven't really paid much attention. I'll be honest, but someone who's been scoring goals in the Championship or League One this season, who's going to come in, and you know what you are getting, and has got a bit of a proven tra- track record, and they're on there on an upward tra- trajectory, and looks like they might have a Premier League future ahead of them, and things like that. Then, if you could make three or four of those sort of signings, to, you know, real strong additions to a squad, rather than. Um, taking too many gambles and project plays and things like that. I feel like they've got a load of them already on the books who are still got loads to prove. Your sergeants and your Jollis and, and, and whoever. Um, even Sam McCallum, you know, he was one who was a gamble back in the day, wasn't he, that we've still not had a chance to judge him. There's, there's, Sonani, if he ends up coming back, it doesn't look like he probably will, but if Huddersfield don't go up, they might not be able to afford to, to sign him. We don't we don't know how that will work out. There's a load of them, so... It's not like they Smith and and, and Weber and Shakespeare haven't got a lot to sit down. They've probably got 45, 50 players that they can look at and go, right, how do we sculpt this promotion contending championship squad out of all of this? Because there's loads to play with. Then it's about supplementing it with real good, 100% reliable quality. Or maybe that's a bit too, (laughs) 100% is probably a bit too optimistic. But good, solid options that you're pretty sure that you're bringing in someone who's going to hit the ground running and do you a good job.
0: Yeah, and it does feel increasingly that that's that's where Smiths had out. It feels to me really that it's midfield that's the big area, both both in terms of centrally and attacking areas. They need to inject some some creativity and some and, and some physicality into this team. But uh, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. Hopefully, a, a few more cameos for for the young lads. Liam Gibbs was was also on the bench this afternoon, but but didn't get on. I mean, that's kind of uh, often is, is is good for the fans as much as anything else in in these kind of situations. But. There we go, gents. Thank you very much. I think that's uh, that's hopefully covered things off nicely for you guys as well. We'll, of course, be at Leicester in in midweek goodness me and wolves I as won't. well no well you know you won't you, you've, uh, <laughs> Sorry. you've you've left us to it uh, pink and plus of course the place to go for all the uh, the the best Norrie city analysis uh, and uh, pieces at the moment plenty of good stuff on there as we speak if you get to uh, to, to take out a subscription or a free trial do that we've got some uh, exciting stuff coming up later in this month all being well so that's worth keeping an eye on as well and um, yeah thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again hopefully in uh, more positive circumstances next week.